Welcome to Kingdom Leadership. In Matthew 20 and 25, Jesus called his disciples together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentile lord over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not that way among you, but whosoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. God has called us to lead in a way that serves others and advances the kingdom of God. Please join our hosts as they discuss scriptures, principles, and strategies for leading in a way that brings glory to God and blesses you and those you serve. You may also visit us online at IamAKingdomLeader.com to submit your questions or access past episodes. Let's go. Hello, Kingdom Leaders. This is Dr. Arlene Green, and I'm so glad you joined us for another episode of Kingdom Leadership, where our mission is to disciple, meaning train, equip, prepare, encourage you so that you can accomplish all that God has called you to do and that you're able to do it in a way that brings him glory and draws other people to him. We have a great topic today. The title is Love and Leadership, Part 2. Part 1 was on loving God. In part two, today's episode is on loving self. Now, I know for some of my fellow Christians, that sounds crazy or like heresy, but don't turn me off. Give me a moment to explain once we jump in, because I, I must admit, even for me, this was a tough one. It took me several weeks to mull this topic over, to study it, to think about it, and to really let the Holy Spirit guide me. Um, so anyway, I know it's going to be good, so stay tuned. As always, though, if you'd like to access previous episodes, you can go to IamAKingdomLeader.com, our website, or you can contact us or our team just to say hello or to send a question by sending an email to agreen, A-G-R-E-E-N, at LifeChangingFaith.com. We love to hear from you, so definitely get in contact with us. So let's jump in. Love and leadership. As believers, we are told you know, so many times in the Bible that we are supposed to love others um, and express God's love. And in part one, I shared one scripture related to this. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees were basically testing Jesus and they asked him a question. In verse 36, starting at verse 36, one of them said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And we know that there were 10 commandments but when they say the law, oftentimes they're referring to the books of Moses or the first five books of the Bible, which had hundreds of ceremonial laws about food and sacrifices and lots of other things. So they were asking, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Trying to trip Jesus up. And beginning in verse 37, Jesus replied saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Verse 38 this is the first and greatest commandment, and 39. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So as followers of Christ, there's no aspect of our life where love doesn't play, you know, doesn't play an important and central role. And that includes our role as leaders, leaders at work, leaders of our family, you know, leaders at church, leaders in our community. Leaders with other friends, you know, anytime you have a chance to influence someone in a positive direction, that's a leadership opportunity. But, you know, I think most of the time when we think of love, we think of our love for others or maybe how someone else is loving us. 
But today, I really want to talk about our love for ourselves. And while that may sound wrong initially, because initially did to me as well, I think it's absolutely godly. And we're going to jump into that. Uh, but I like to start some of our shows with a research study. And there was one research study by some researchers at the University of Albany. And they found that people who score high on tests of self-compassion, and self-compassion mean, self meaning people that are kind or loving to themselves, show compassion to themselves, have less depression, less anxiety, tend to be happier, and tend to be more optimistic. So people that have higher self-compassion tend to have a lot less anxiety and depression. So my question for us today is, are we supposed to love ourselves? Spoiler alert, yes. And since we are, what does that really mean? Now, we're not talking about being selfish or self-absorbed or in love with our way of doing something. You know, we know we shouldn't be selfish. So Philippians 2 and 3, the Bible tells us, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with an attitude of humility. And in the Amplified, it has a parenthesis saying, being neither arrogant nor self-righteous. So an attitude of humility Regard others as more important than yourselves. So we're not supposed to be selfish, but the way I'm distinguishing self-love from selfishness, and this is Arlene, not necessarily the Bible, but is that self-love is about how you feel about you. It doesn't involve other people's opinions, their ideas, their needs. Self-love is about how you feel about you. Whereas selfishness is often about how we feel about ourselves in comparison to other people, right? So the dictionary defines selfish as seeking one's own advantage or well-being over others or without regard for others. And God is not pleased or honored when we're selfish. You know, the word says to esteem or consider others' needs above our own. So we're not talking about being selfish. What we're going to talk about today is loving ourselves the way God loves us. Loving you the way God loves you. So when I think about God's version of self-love, it's when I love God and I know and believe that he loves me. Right, and I probably should flip that because it said he loved us first. You know, I know and believe that God loves me and I love him. You know, I'm his favorite and you are too. We're all special. We're all unique. We're all loved by God. You know, my creator loves me and I love him. Uh, and because of that, I love all of his creation, and that includes you and me. So when I think about loving ourselves, I think about it as appreciating and thanking God for who he has made us to be, who he's made you to be, appreciating our physical makeup, our gifts, our calling. And I think one thing that gets in the way of us really loving ourselves is that we sometimes think we can't love ourselves and love others. You know, we think it has to be one or the other. The Bible does tell us to deny ourselves, but denying yourself is not the same as not loving yourself. You know, we deny our children candy for breakfast, not because we don't love them, but because we do. So sacrifice and self-denial are a part of love. So we can love others, we can love ourselves, and still deny ourselves or pour ourselves out for others. Those concepts aren't in conflict. And indeed, the Bible teaches us that we can and should love God, love ourselves, and love others. And me loving me doesn't mean that I don't love you. We're both God's creation, and he loves us both more than we can ever imagine. 
So, you know, really for today, we want to look at how we feel about ourselves. And I want to look at just three things that God says about us in today's episode. Because for us to love others, I think we have to love ourselves. And to do that, we need to see ourselves the way God sees us. So how can we see ourselves the way God sees us? And so I have three quick, three key questions for us today. So let's start with question one. Question one, do you believe that you are fully known? Do you believe that you are fully known? One of my new favorite songs that may not be new, but I just heard it is um, Known by Torrin Wells. Oh my goodness, that song, the lyrics say that I am fully known and loved by you. You know, fully known and loved by you. It says it's not one or the other. It's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be known and loved by you. Wow, that is amazing. You know, because you can't love something that you don't fully know. And God fully knows you. You know, I was looking at Psalms, and in Psalm 139, starting at verse 1, David says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. That's through verse 6. And then in verse 11, he jumps down and says, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So there is nothing hidden before God. The things we did in our past, the things we're not proud of, God fully knows them. He knows our bad intentions, our bad habits, who we like, who we really don't like. We are fully known. And still, we are fully loved. Let that sit on you for a second. I'm serious. If I, if I play that song, I start to think about that song or that concept for too long, I will start to cry because I know me. I know how messed up I can be, how mean, selfish, judgmental, difficult, you know, even judgmental towards myself. He doesn't just know me on Sunday or in church or when I'm acting more like him than the sinful nature I was born with. No, he knows the full me. So first to see you and love you how God sees you, for us to love ourselves the way God loves us, we have to understand and believe that we are fully and completely known. Because if we don't believe it, it's not a real love. It's conditional. Right? It's based on a transaction or us doing something. If I do this, then I get that. No, God is love. And his love is complete and he fully knows you and me. So to start to believe and to receive the love that God has for us and to see ourselves as God sees us, we must know that we are fully known. So that's the first question. Question two is, do you believe that you are wonderfully made? Do you believe that you were made based on God's perfect and purposeful design? Your voice, your body, your skin tone, your gifts, your gender, your thighs, as Joyce Meyer likes to say. Your everything was wonderfully made based on a purposeful design. You, my daughter, you, my son, are God's 
masterpiece, the crown of his creation, the apple of his eye. How can you not love the person that God has created so purposefully and so carefully? You know, in Ephesians 2 and 10, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Genesis 1.27 said, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There was not a mistake when God made you. There was not a mistake when God made me. And in the same psalm I was reading earlier, later in that psalm, 139, David talks about how detailed God was in creating you. So starting at verse 13, the Bible reads, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So if you believe and know that you were created based on a detailed and purposeful design by a loving, all-powerful, and all-knowing God, how can you not love who you are, you know? But we often spend so much time, so much of our time, comparing ourselves to others, wishing we had something we did not. You know, if we have straight hair, we want curly hair. If we have long legs, we want short legs. Um, You know, I can wish all day for a different voice, a different body type, different gifts. But that wishing is also saying that I don't really love and appreciate who God has made me to be. I was in um, I was in a class one time and they asked us to make a tick mark on a piece of paper every time we had a negative or unloving thought about ourselves. Thoughts like I'm not smart enough to answer that question or negative comparisons like I wish I was his size or her size. You know, I wish I was taller or whatever. And by the end of one day, we each had tens and tens of tick marks. You know, now I'm not saying we shouldn't strive to be better. I'm going to a boot camp right now to improve my physical health. Glory to God. But there's a difference between trying to take care of what God has given you and not loving or appreciating what God has given you. So my second question for us is, do we truly believe that we are fearfully and wonderfully made? If so, that's awesome. You know, but if you find yourself like I have before, not feeling good enough, not handsome enough, not smart enough, not skinny enough, not anything else enough, then it's time to discipline our thoughts. And because the things we say to ourselves are so important. And I'll give you all one approach that I've used. You know, my approach is I don't try to stop negative thoughts per se. That's very hard to do. Um, You know, sometimes when you try to stop something, you end up focusing on it and almost obsessing over it. So instead, a technique a friend of mine told me, taught me, is I just don't hold on to negative thoughts. I let them pass through my mind. I literally envision them coming in one ear and going right out the other, meaning I don't hold on to them. And that could be a negative thought about me, or it could be a negative thought or mean thought I have about someone else. You know, if my mind says, they're not going to hire you as a little African-American girl, I just let that thought flow through one ear and out the other. And then I say what I know God says about me. 
I'm wonderfully and fearfully made. I come behind in no good thing. I am the head and not the tail. I will lend to many nations and borrow from none. You know, everything I put my hand to prospers. So just let the negative thought go and then replace it with what you know God says about you. Um, So I don't try to stop per se negative thoughts, but I don't hold on to them. I let them pass through my mind like I'm watching a movie from the enemy and then let it pass through and out and then remind myself of who God made me to be. And over time, you know, you'll have a lot less negative thoughts because by repeating the word, we're training our minds to think as God thinks, to see ourselves as God sees us. And God is love and he loves you and you should love you. Right. So my second my second real point is just to make sure that we are seeing ourselves the way God sees us fearfully and wonderfully made. So my third question for today is, are you loving yourself by living without condemnation? Because that's how God sees you. This one is so important and has been very freeing for me. You know, I didn't say without conviction because thank God the Holy Spirit convicts us when we are out of line with God, you know, for acting unholy or or in a sinful way. Um, So conviction is awesome. But I said, are you living without condemnation? I mentioned Joyce Myers before, and I was listening to her one day, and she said that at the moment she was speaking, she didn't feel one bit of guilt, not one bit. And at the time, I thought that was shocking when I thought about my own life, Um, because I think without realizing it, I was walking around with a continual book bag, essentially of guilt, strapped to my back. You know, I know a lot of what's in the Word, not all of it, but a lot of it, and when I fall short... I do my best to ask for forgiveness and try not to do it again. But for some things that have been really harder for me to stop doing or harder to start doing, I would hang on to this guilt, which I have found can actually get in the way of you becoming more like God, right? And more like Christ. So instead, we really should ask for forgiveness, turn from our ways, receive the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for us with his life, And move on from that moment, you know, asking God to help us live in a way that's pleasing to him every day and every moment, but living free. Now, let's let's read about no condemnation in Romans. And uh, this is Paul speaking, and I'm going to read chapter eight, verse one. And he says, there is therefore now, meaning now that Christ has come and died and, you know, and paid the price for all of our sins. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, those who believe and are saved. Now that's me adding that on, you know, but the scripture says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So the word tells us there is no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. No condemnation means that for those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our sins, past, present, future, are forgiven. Though we have messed up, we'll mess up in the future, Jesus' death on the cross paid for all of them. So if that's the case, why do we, or why have I in the past, some of us, live as though we are under constant condemnation? You know, So much of my Christian walk has been riddled with guilt, and the enemy likes that. 
I think it's that we see the standard. We know the standard God has for us. When we miss it, the Holy Spirit convicts us. And that's right and holy. But after we're convicted and we go to God asking for forgiveness because of you know, our Savior, Jesus Christ, why do we then hold on to it? The conviction is holy. The holding on to it is unloving. And as we hold on to things for ourselves, I've found we often tend to hold on to things for other people too. Because have you noticed that how we treat ourselves is often how we treat other people? You know, people that are perfectionists and very self-critical tend to be very perfectionistic and critical of others. Have you ever worked for someone who is a perfectionist, you know? Um, for me, I know I worry about not being neat and organized enough. My mom was super neat and organized. And when my house gets out of control, it bothers me. And when it bothers me, all of a sudden, I start noticing everyone else's junk in the house as well. <laughs> and that bothers me too. You know, so to start with me so I can better love others, I've just been trying to be much more loving and kind to myself. Meaning when I mess up, which I do, I've been asking for forgiveness thanking Jesus for paying the price for my sins, thanking God for his forgiveness, and moving on. Not rethinking, not replaying, not guilting myself for whatever I messed up on over and over again. And it's really helping me to live a life with a lot less guilt. I feel lighter, freer, more nimble. And I honestly feel like I'm making more progress in areas that have been stumbling blocks in the past. Um, you know, I was thinking about... I'm taking a class right now on dreams with my aunt and she's a pastor. And as a part of that class, she asked us to read first Corinthians 13, four through seven about love and to replace love is with God is. And I want to try that in a second so we can read it. And I want you to notice what part of the verse stands out for you. Um, you know, because when the word says we're walking after the spirit, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that we're striving for holiness. We're striving to be like Christ. We're striving to demonstrate the love of God to others. It doesn't mean perfection. The word says we're transformed from glory to glory. And anyone who's been a follower of Christ for any amount of time, you know that transforming into the character of Christ doesn't happen overnight. We're saved immediately, but the sanctification and transformation process how we're transformed into the character of Christ takes time. And what we have to remember is even in that process, God loves us. So let's read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. I'm going to replace love is with God is. And when we get done, I want you to think about what part stands out for you. So starting at verse 4, God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and then Verse 8 starts with God never fails. Love never fails. God never fails. And when we did that exercise in the class, what stood out to me was that God keeps no record of wrongs. Now, I know the word says that our sins, you know, from God are as far from the east as from the west once we're saved by Christ. But I don't think I was living my life with that in my mind. I was really holding on to stuff way longer than I should. 
So, you know, one way we can love ourselves is by reminding ourselves that now, because of Christ and because of our relationship with Christ, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We should be moving. We should be growing. But it doesn't mean we should live a life riddled with guilt until we quote unquote get there. Because, spoiler alert, spoiler alert we're not going to get there until we are reunited with our Savior when he returns. So... I hope that, you know, encourages you to love and be kind to yourself by seeing yourself the way God sees you. One, knowing that you're fully known by God, the good, the bad, the ugly. God knows it all and he loves you. You are his favorite. You know, two, knowing that you are wonderfully made. God designed you with a purpose in mind and you were specifically created to live out that purpose. So when negative thoughts come, if they come, let them walk on by, as that song said, and just remind yourself that I am fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And third, let's love ourselves by living free. We are not condemned because of our Savior. So let's not live a life of condemnation and guilt, constantly focusing on and worrying about what happened in the past. You know, Paul said, forgetting what is behind, I press. I love that scripture. Um, And he says that I'm not saying I've achieved it. I'm not saying I've gotten there. But one thing he does is he forgets what's behind and presses. And that's what we should do. Forgetting what's behind and pressing forward. So I hope that was a blessing to you today. To live free from sin, free to follow the Holy Spirit, and to live without condemnation, we must first have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Romans 10 and 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So to live a life free from condemnation and free to follow the Holy Spirit who will reside in you the moment you accept Jesus Christ into your life, all we have to do is freely accept, believe and accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. So if that's you and you feel the Lord pulling at your heart, don't resist him. Falling in love with Jesus is the best thing you will ever do. Instead of resisting him, turn to him. He knows you completely and he loves you just the same. If you want to receive salvation, let's say say these words and pray this prayer together. God, I believe that your son Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. And I thank you that his death was the perfect and all-sufficient sacrifice for my sins. I thank you for coming into my heart and saving me. I love you and I acknowledge you as my Lord and my Savior. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, write us and let us know. We want to celebrate with you. The word says that the angels celebrate in heaven when one sinner repents. So we know the angels are celebrating and we celebrate with you. You can send me an email directly at agreen, A-G-R-E-E-N, at lifechangingfaith.com. Or you can visit our website, iamakingdomleader.com to email us, to chat with us, submit a question for another show. Um, We're just so glad you've joined for today. And please join us next time as we all learn and grow together into the kingdom leaders God has called us to be. 
I speak blessings, life, and love over you until we meet again. I love you all, and God loves you best. Thank you for joining Kingdom Leadership, and we pray you were blessed by today's discussion. You can find us next week at the same place, same time. You may also visit us online to access past episodes and submit questions for future shows by visiting IamAKingdomLeader.com. God is calling us to lead in a way that gives Him glory, attracts others, and advances His kingdom. God bless you.